Okay, well, we've got uh, a good group uh, here tonight, and this, I think, is going to be an interesting um, time of fellowship. I really think it's important that we do a resummation of the biblical, five biblical points uh, uh, that we often talk about, but I think oftentimes... uh, each of the points are kind of misrepresented out there. And uh, total depravity is something that um, is really uh, hated by the Arminian churches because it it goes against all of their doctrine, of course. And they, uh, sorry about that, Carol. I'll remute you there. Um, they they deny you know the doctrine of original sin. Of course, John Wesley absolutely abhorred the doctrine of original sin, and even said that um, you know that it was. Uh, in fact, he that he he also hated the Psalms. John Wesley did not like anybody reading or studying the Psalms. Well, that's pretty apparent as to why that was the case. Um, but I'm not going to go through each of the points. But what I thought we would do is we would take each point by point and have each person uh, uh, that's on the phone, that would be Chris and uh, Ed, and if Kevin joins us or Walt, uh, kind of share their thoughts about that particular point. So, again, my the first point, the total depravity thing, you know, people sometimes say, oh, you just, you know, you think that everybody's a Genghis Khan. No, we're not saying they can be as depraved as they could be. We're saying that they're dead in their trespasses and sin, and they, uh, there's nothing they can do uh, to raise themselves to life because they're they're dead. That's and it's because the the fact that we all died in Adam, and we also commit actual sins, uh, and so with that. Um, yeah, Ed, why don't you share your thoughts, and then we'll go over to Chris on the aspect of total depravity. Well, um, remember, Jesus' standard is not simply the acts of sin, but the thoughts of the heart. So, uh-huh. uh, it, it, you know, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Uh, if you hate it, you've committed murder. So, uh, yeah, in a sense, we are like Genghis Khan, aren't we? Uh, I don't know <laughs> I don't know. We can. I don't know if we can ever make that distinction because God's standard is not our standard. That's uh, right. Is, you know, so uh, to judge one man against the other, to hold one up as a standard, the only standard we should have is Jesus Christ, and we can never meet that standard. Uh, the only way that we meet that standard is by the grace of God through the imputed righteousness of Christ, which is a legal imputation. Uh, all other religions. Uh, have a doctrine of impartation of righteousness, that is, the actual righteousness of the person. The Roman Catholic doctrine, the Arminian doctrine is also that, although they deny it, uh, if you uh, take it for what they say and to its ultimate conclusion, it is, in fact, impartation of righteousness where the person actually has to manifest the righteousness in their lives as a means of salvation in order to maintain their status in the, within grace. So 
their their grace is what they call a prevenient grace. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, we are uh, depraved. In this flesh dwells no good thing. We sin all the time, um, and you know we 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 try to uh, bring our sinful flesh uh, you know, under control. Uh, but we can only do that by the grace of God, by submitting to his will, by obeying his commands. And that takes a process of, of thought uh, and the unction of the Holy Spirit in order to do that. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, uh, really there can't be a submission to God's will. Well, that's really true. And your point about uh, not putting one person up another, that is exactly what James addresses when he says, you know, if we sin at one point, we're, we're guilty of committing them all. <laughs> and so, you know, like you said, God's law is a perfect, holy uh, law that cannot be, only Christ could could perfectly fulfill that law. Chris, uh, your thoughts on, on total depravity? Well, I guess we're totally depraved from our youth the proof is the physical proof is that we don't have to teach a child or your child to uh to lie, cheat, and steal <laughs> yeah. it's It's inerrant in in all human beings from their youth so that's that's about the proof i can I can obviously offer you know to substantiate the fact that we're totally depraved you know uh, I don't understand why uh who was the, were the characters from the past that denied total depravity? Who, who, who did you name? Well, we you know, I mean, we can go back as far as the battle between Augustine and Pelagius, and even before then, I mean, we've got um, <laughs> Lucifer saying to Eve in the garden, you know, you you shall not sure. surely die. You'll be as you'll be as God, knowing you know good from evil and all of this. And then down through history, you know, we have all of those Arminians that have upheld that. Uh, they, they, the free will of man gives a person, you know, autonomy over their own destiny, basically. And whether it's Charles Finney or John Wesley or Moody or, or Fuller or Carey or Booth or Billy Graham or Adrian Rogers or John Hagee or, you know, they're all in the same camp. They... Who did In you fact, say I mentioned? Had, Excuse me. Well, what was your question? I was going to ask, who did you mention that said they hated the Psalms? I mean, how can you that hate the Psalms? That was John, Psalms? John Wesley. And John Wesley John also, you know, he, well, he, he indicated to his brother at the end of his life, close to the end of his life, that he never knew God. And, um, you know, there were different people that tried to take him to task and hold him accountable, including, you know, people that he worked with, George Whitfield, um, and he he maligned Augustus Toplady to the point of lying about him and so on. And so um, there was evidence of depravity within John Wesley, even though he promoted perfectionism instead <laughs> of total sanctification. So... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Let's let's move on to. I don't want to be labor. Just, just just before we get, uh, leave, uh, yeah. uh, Wesley, I'm I'm reading yeah. now from a biography of Wesley, and just to to just to put a punctuation on on your comment and to support what you have said, 
uh, let me quote from John Wesley. He says, um, and yet, this is the mystery. I do not love God. I never did. Therefore, I never believed in the Christian sense of the word. Therefore, I am only an honest heathen. How about that? Wow. Wow. Yeah. As a man man thinketh, so is he. Yeah. Is that Kevin? Yes. Hi, Gary. Or Larry. (laughs) Hi. Hi. Well, I I thought Chris was with us. Chris, are you still here? Okay, we got both. We got both Californias with us now. You snuck in the back door, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I came in a little late. Sorry. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, before we move on to uh, unconditional election, uh, give us your thoughts about uh, total depravity and the implications thereof. Well, I like to I like to look at the scriptures and and let them speak, and it, it impresses me that that's the condition that the natural man is in, depraved. When yeah. in Isaiah, where the Lord says, "If the Lord of Sabbath had not reserved for Himself a very small remnant, we would all be as Sodom and Gomorrah." Mm. That, that really shows me that if God doesn't step in and, and, and change us, then we're not we're not changed. You know, we're fit to be destroyed. The other one is where it asks the question, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Yeah, and then, yeah. he, then he asks the question, how can you who are so practiced to do evil do good? So it, it's an impossibility. And that goes with what Jesus said when they asked him who could be saved. And he said, with man, it's impossible. So it, it shows our depravity. And, of course, Romans 3, verses 10 to 18 really speaks to the condition of the natural man. That's good. That's good. Well, I'm going to move right along. We've got five points and uh, four people, so that's 20, 20 conversations to do this. Um, unconditional election is, to me, the uh, golden nugget of salvation. In other words, I remember the first message I ever heard on unconditional election, and it just blew me away. I was... Uh, you know, I was so mind-controlled and so programmed into this uh, false gospel that God, you know, died for the sins of the whole world and made it possible for all men to be saved, and all you have to do is uh, make a decision for him, and your decision is what secures your, your faith and all that. And I, I heard a guy... I heard a guy do a message on unconditional election, and he actually preached out of the ninth chapter of Romans. And I mean, I was, I was, I was. It was just, uh, I mean, it was something else. I went home and I was telling Rosette, I said, you know what? I said, why, why have? I, I said, I'm 37 years old. Why? I've never heard a sermon like that in my life, ever, you know. But the fact is that the children not being born, not having done any good or evil, while yet in their mother's womb, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. He said, Jacob, you know, the younger will serve the, the older will serve the younger. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? And then, you know, is there unrighteous with God? God forbid, you know. And the real issue was, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same vessel make one unto honor, one unto dishonor? 
And as I started reading back through that ninth chapter of Romans, I guess the thing that was the most gripping to me was this, the part that said, the children not yet born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. That was the kicker for me because, you know, I was always taught that, you know, there was some merit in the creature. You know, God looked down through time and saw you were going to choose him, and because you made the right choice, <laughs> you, you're a recipient of grace. And so this unconditional election, I mean, what is it? It's a gift. There's nothing in the creature. We're dead, back to total depravity. If we're totally dead in our sins, you know, how can someone who's lying in a coffin raise himself from the dead? I'm going to turn it over to Ed, and then we'll go back down to Chris, and then over to Kevin on this. But, uh, uh, yeah, your thoughts on unconditional election, uh, Ed? Yeah, the um, I think Romans chapter nine uh, addresses that uh, very clearly, uh, you know. And uh, for whom he foreknew, uh, he also predestined predestined yeah. uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, yes. the uh, this foreknowing is something that the Arminian sees upon as a limiting phrase that all he did was foreknew. And so what they do is they stretch the word foreknow, okay, to to cover the word predestined. So it says, for uh-huh. whom he did foreknow, foreknew, uh, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So it, it, he did both. And by the way, this word foreknew, is a pregnant word. It has great meaning. It means more than just to have knowledge beforehand. It means to love beforehand. So he, for loved, he also predestined. So he loves us and predestined us for salvation. And it's interesting. The Arminians love to twist uh, scripture and redefine terms. And so predestined no longer means predestined in Scripture, according to the Arminians. Uh, They have stripped it of all meaning. And they're just liars. These people are liars. And these, I I don't know how, I can't be politically correct about this. I have to state it as it is. To to say that what God says when he said he predestinated us, uh, that no, he didn't, and that that only means he knew ahead of time what we would choose is lying. That's deception. And these people are false preachers. They're ministers uh, of a false gospel. And uh, the, the gospel's clear. If we were elected uh, by God uh, before he created the world. That's exactly right. And I'm glad you pointed that out because that is exactly what the Armenians do. They they misuse uh, the term foreknowledge and put and set us on set us on its face. And we see in Ephesians one four it says just the opposite. According as he hath chosen us in him before, and he did the choosing. It wasn't us that did any choosing on anything. According as he hath chosen us in him before 
the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. But then one other thing, and that is that he predestinated us into adoption. And this adoption uh, was where we were given an inheritance uh, in verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And so you're right on spot on that uh, in your explanation of that. And now I'm going to move on to Chris. Uh, Chris, give us your uh, uh, thoughts on unconditional election. Well, conditional election, just like the other four points, all five points of Christianity are so biblically sound and intermesh with the truths of the Bible, I don't know how anybody can mistake in it unless God has preordained them to wrath, as it were. You know, that's that's all I can see. Why he would choose us to to uh, share with this understanding is beyond me because the natural man would the natural mind would want to gravitate towards towards gee, uh, I'm the I'm the actuator of this, that's the Arminian point of view. Uh, God is the receiver of my action. Well, you know, it's it's the opposite. God is God. We're not. God initiates. We're the recipient, not the other Good. way around. Good. Very, very well stated. You know, and that, yeah, it's again, I was listening to, uh, there's a big chain of radio stations, uh, and it's by a guy that, was I think he used to be oh I mean he's United Methodist but his son's taken over the it's American Family Radio um, and uh, Tim uh, Wildman is his son Don Wildman was the original and they they were talk they had a guest on their program today talking about how they've got this uh, evangelist uh, evangelist program set up for all fifty states and how that you know. People are flocking to Jesus. You know, they're all making decisions for Christ, and they're working in conjunction with Franklin Graham. And this is this is just what uh, Chris alluded to. Uh, it's it's all based upon the will of the flesh. It, it has it's the gospel is not presented. It's a false gospel, like Ed said. Uh, Kevin, uh, your thoughts on the, and the. It does have to be spiritually revealed to us, but go ahead, Kevin. When I first began to reason from the scriptures, the tulip, I understood that if the T was correct, if total depravity or total inability is true, then if anybody is to be saved, it has to be unconditionally because we don't have any capacity to bring any conditions to the table. Yes, yes. So, um, and then... I see in Ephesians 2.1 where it says you were dead and then you were quickened. So uh-huh. therefore we're totally depraved and all of a sudden we're not totally depraved. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's right. Uh, and when Jesus says no one can come to me except those that the Father would draw or bring to me, then I ask, well, who is it that the Father brings? Well, they have to be the elect or the chosen ones. And then those are explained in John 6, where he talks about those the Father had given to him shall come to him. It's a certainty. They're going to come to him. And not because they come of their own volition, but because God has determined to bring them to Jesus. 
and to give them the faith to receive Christ and to be saved. Amen. So it's wonderful. Amen. The tulip is so beautiful. It, if any letter in the tulip it, it falls, none of it can stand true. So uh, That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. You know, you hear people say, I'm a three-pointer, I'm a four-pointer, and you're absolutely right, Kevin, because yeah. uh-huh. if, if someone abandons one point of the tenets of the faith, they all fall. You know, you're absolutely right. And the other thing, I like the fact that you use the word elect because, you know, we're living in a society, some people get real offended when you when you use the word elect. But Paul uses that word over and over. Peter uses that word. And, and that word describes those who have been a recipient of God's grace that have been called, that have been predestinated, who have been justified who've been glorified and so I don't have any problem calling a brother one of God's elect if they're confessing Jesus Christ we're in there holding to the tenets of the faith but people say well you, you're trying to set yourself up as uh, you know someone special well we are special we are a peculiar people right. you know and it's not that there's anything special in ourselves <laughs> like you're saying is that we have been recipients of something that is the most special thing that we could ever have been given. And, uh, yeah, that's that's good. Well, let's go on to, now this is probably the most hated doctrine, and I prefer particular redemption over limited atonement because uh, people get really, you know, uh, bent out of shape over that term. And, and we know that particular redemption uh, goes against the flesh because the flesh wants to immediately start saying, you know, uh, what gives God the right, you know, to choose some and leave others and so on. Well, we see all the way through Scripture that God has the right to do anything he wants to do because he's God. And he is not under the tutelage of man. <laughs> and he's not dependent upon man. Man's dependent upon him. But we're back to Ed. Ed, why don't you give us a little uh, synopsis of uh, particular redemption? Yeah, the um, in in order uh, to understand the gospel, um, there. Well, I should say the only way that the gospel can make any sense is if the atonement is limited to His elect. And, and That's I say right. that because on the cross, there was a legal exchange, okay? So there was an exchange of God's righteousness, okay, for our sin. So he became sin in our place, in our stead. He took on our sin. And by his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we then take on his righteousness legally. That's our legal standing, okay? Now, if the atonement is unlimited, okay, that means that this, this legal exchange would pass to all mankind, okay? And everybody in the world would then be imputed with his righteousness. So if he died for the sins of everybody, that means that those people that are cast into hell because they reject Christ, because they don't have faith, 
um, they're cast into hell, have the righteousness of Christ, you see. <laughs> and that can't yeah. possibly be. It cannot That's right. possibly be. So, uh, and also, uh, that means that God is punishing the sin twice. So he punished yes. Christ for that sin, and now he's punishing those people in hell for that sin. That can't be. So the, the atonement must be limited. That's very well stated. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that we have uh, all of these uh, non-biblical terms being thrown out there, you know, like common grace and prevenient grace. And, and you know, God makes a, a possible salvation instead of an absolute uh, completed salvation. And your point as it relates to, the, and this is something I, I've, I've always, you know, it's been uh, mind-boggling to me when you're talking to an Armenian and you ask them um, if God, if, if Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, they say yes. And when you ask them the question, well, do you believe that those uh, people that are in hell, that he died for their sins? Oh, yes. They said, yes, we do believe that. But but because they choose him, or because he, they did not have faith in him, so in other words, like you were saying, Ed, earlier, uh, it's, a, it's a bastardization of the atonement. It's an attack on Christ and his completed work. It's saying he did not really accomplish what he said he came to do. He did not come to save his people from their sins. He came to offer them something, and then they had to do the rest. And so let's go now over to Chris and get your thoughts on uh, limited atonement. Well, what you're talking about here is, is what they do is it's a third-degree straw man that they've established, you know, when they say, yeah. well, you know, God offered it, Jesus died for everybody, but now it's up to you. That's not in the Bible. So there's the yeah. straw man that they've established that isn't in the book. I guess yeah. uh, you're right, Larry. It's a better way to put it, uh, uh, particular atonement as opposed to limited atonement because people, that word limited, they feel, people know, we know we're sinners, okay? Right, right. The Arminian knows he's a sinner. Uh, just as, as the elect, we all know we're sinners. The only difference is we're saved by the blood of Christ because we're given the proof, I think there's a lot of value in understanding the tulip. You know, I don't think God just gives that that understanding out freely. You know, so I think by virtue of understanding tulip is is another indication that you you, you most probably are a child of God. Otherwise, God, I don't believe would impart this understanding and take you out of once was probably in most cases an Arminian point of view. Because that's generally where we all started from, you know. And you know, uh, it's it's interesting. The Armenians have their own flower. <laughs> yeah, I think I forgot. I think it's orchid. I'm not sure, but anyway, whatever it is, and and it basically they 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 attack every point of of the doctrine of tulip uh, in their flower. And I heard a a person do that. They said, you know. We do not believe that men are totally depraved. We believe that they are. They have a bent, 
but we believe that they have a spark of moral good in them and they can decide, they can make a, a decision of, over good over evil. We believe that um, that it's not uh, unconditional election. It's conditioned on person's faith. We believe that uh, it is available for all. We believe that uh, you can resist God's grace, even if you have, even if you are one of His, you can still resist and, be, and fall, and, and ultimately be cast into hell. And then finally, we do not believe uh, uh, that all men are going to persevere in their faith, even though they some will not persevere in their faith, even though they were once saved. So that's their that's their doctrine, and. Uh, um, you know, let's let's move on to Kevin on this wait, 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 uh, wait. thought. Oh, okay. Go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Oh no, that wasn't me. I was done. Oh. oh. Okay. No, that that was that was me. But uh, you're moving on to another oh. person. Uh, but go ahead. I mean, before you uh, uh, before we leave the uh, uh, yeah limited atonement, I, there's just something I wanted to touch on. But go ahead. Go to sure. the person. Okay. Go ahead, Ed, and then we'll move down to Kevin. Well, I I just. Um, I, I, what was the phrase you used in place of limited atonement? Uh, particular redemption. Or okay. particular atonement, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have a hard time with, that is, um, when, when, see, when you first said that, uh, I, I was confused by it, quite frankly. I, I mean, I, yeah. I had to stop and, I had to stop and think about it. It doesn't yeah. hit me in the it doesn't hit me in the face as something that's easy to understand by the words you use. Okay, right, right. Uh, it's a, it's a real mouthful, and I really think that it um, it's a little bit confusing. So particularly, yeah, I think it is. It, and so I limited atonement. I think kind of hits them in the face with the reality <laughs> of if you are elect or you're not. And I I like that fact that it hits them in the face with that particular redemption. I don't, I mean, I had to stop and think, well, okay. Uh, oh, I got you. Oh, now I see you're just saying it a different way, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it, to me, to me, it obfuscates, it obfuscates what, what, you know, it really is limited atonement. You know? Well, the thing, the only, the only struggle that I've had with the term limited atonement is I've even heard uh, I've even heard people take it totally out of context in saying that yes, in fact, it is limited. In other words, God's atonement is limited. It's based upon you know man has to participate in it, and God has limited it uh, to the to the free will of man. In other words, I don't see God's atonement as limited. I, I see it as effectual. Uh, maybe that would be a better word of saying it, but effectual atonement. In other words, the scope of the atonement is one thing. The boundaries of it are limited to his elect. And so it's unlimited for his elect because we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So I think, uh, I don't know, I, I've struggled with the term limited because First of all, God is uh, is not limited in any, in any area, you know, including His atonement. Uh, but He has He has set 
the boundaries of his atonement for only his people. Uh, but anyway, I, I hear what you're saying. It, it does get people's attention, and it, it does promote uh, a conversation and dialogue. There's no question about that. Yeah, I see your point. I see your point. How they uh, how they can twist that, but their their effort to twist that can be uh, uh, can be revealed as simply you know uh, a confusion or a deception oh, sure. by them. I see what you're saying, Ed. I, I see what you're saying, Ed. The, the point is, if you got to look at it like this, uh, the blood of Christ is effectual for a limited amount of saints. In other words, his, his blood is effectual for every human being that was ever born on this earth. It's only applied to God's elect. But no, I, I see what you're saying. I've never looked at it like that and how that could confuse the issue. You know, but uh, anyway, no, it's uh, and I think I think you're right. Yeah, and I I think you're also right in that a lot of folks uh, are trying to again appeal to the flesh and and not, in other words, they don't want to uh, in any way. uh, These words that we're talking about tonight: elect, uh, limited atonement, total depravity. Total inability. I mean, people don't like, uh, they don't like to think that they are limited in any way. They think they are unlimited. The will of man is, is all in all. Kevin, go ahead and uh, talk to us about, uh, about limited atonement. Well, you know, one of the words that we hear a lot is sufficient. Uh, Kevin, can you speak up? Yep. Because you're, you sound like you're 100 miles away. Oh, um yeah, I have my Bluetooth in my ear. Normally, I use my headset, and I wasn't able to connect very well with it. So, uh, can you okay. hear me now? Well, you're you're you sound like you're out in the middle of cent- Central Field instead yeah, of on the pitcher's mound. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I could improve that. Is it better? I don't now? know. Yeah, we can hear you. It's just you're distant. Just yeah, try to speak up again. It's too bad. Next time I'm going to try to get this headset working because that seems to work real well. Okay. Uh, okay, the word sufficient is something we often hear, that people say Christ's sacrificial death was sufficient for the sins of everybody. But yeah. that, 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 that's uh, we should strike that from our vocabulary because his death was intended and purposed for the elect, the saints only. And in yes. no way does his sacrifice cover the sins of the non-elect or those that are going to perish. So that, and so again, if, if we see the the T and the U, then um, we see that the limited or or particular redemption and the particular Baptists had had a very good understanding of what they meant by particular. It was yes. Christ's yes. death was for his people only. And yes. So we have different ways of saying it. We say limited atonement. We we know that we mean the limited to the elect only, not not that it's uh, that it's limited in any way and it's it's sufficiency for his people. <laughs> that, that that word sufficiency can be understood for the elect, but the Arminian takes it to mean for everybody's sins in general. And yes. So, yes. Yeah, we have to be careful of how they use that word sufficient. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's a good that's a good. I'm glad you brought that aspect of it out. Um, yeah, that you know because I, that 
there is there is a whole group of people out there uh, that are trying to play. They they say they're reformed, and I was going to ask. Uh, I want to jump go to the side a little bit before we go to the next point. And ask Ed to explain something for me because Ed, I've been reading through your book. Uh, and you have a whole section, a little section in there on the erroneous views of John Calvin in regards to limited atonement. And, you know, I was always brought up with all the, you know, John Calvin, he's superlapsarian, he's a double predestinarian, and, and so on and so forth. But you bring up some very good points about his position on this. Could you cover that for us? Yeah, he... um he actually was a four-point Calvinist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he um, – and people don't realize that, uh, you know, they he he's used as a straw man. He didn't yeah. actually hold to all of the tenets they they ascribed to him. If you – and I've, I've cited a couple of, uh, uh, of his uh, uh, writings where right. – Yeah, he – he called into question this idea of uh, limited atonement. And so he, um, if, in order for the Arminians to attack the gospel, they had to frame it in terms of we are addressing this against a particular theologian. They could not frame it that this is a doctrine which is contrary to the uh, traditional Christian doctrine. So that, that they, they didn't want it to be viewed as some theology that contradicted the Bible. So they could not bring it in that guise. They had to dress it in a, and they had to create a straw man, and John Calvin fit the bill. He wow. fit the bill. Yeah. And so they started calling... They started calling this idea these five points that actually were brought out by the Arminians in their uh, remonstrance. Uh, The five points of Calvinism were actually five points uh, um, at the Synod of Dortek that were brought to address the five points of Arminianism. Yeah, it was a response. Yeah, it was a response, which most people don't understand don't understand the history and the idea that it's been now phrased and 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 uh, and put in terms of the five points of calvinism makes it very easy for them to attack the the doctrine of grace because they can they can characterize it as as coming from as a creation of John Calvin as something he came up with and that's not it at all uh, oh, I, I'm glad you really. I'm glad you brought that out in your book because a lot of people are really clueless about the fallacies of not only that particular aspect of John Calvin, but a lot of his other um, tendencies towards holding on to some Roman Catholic. You know, I think he was really uh, into sacramentalism. He called he called the uh, um, the in his section in his Christian Institutes Institutes of the Christian Religion 
uh, on infant baptism. He called it holy water. Um, you know, he 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 had he he and I, you know, he was not um, pure as a driven snow in his doctrine. <laughs> okay, he came out of Rome and uh, he held on to uh, some of those uh, tenets of Rome. Luther did in his transubstantiation or co-substantiation, he would call it. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. Well, let's move on to the next because we're we've got still some ground to cover here. We're, and by the way, I want to welcome uh, guest uh, five. He's from San Juan Islands. Uh, Dave Baxter's with us, and Dave, we're glad to have you on the call with us. We got a good group here tonight with us. Um, Total in, you know, when we talk about um, inability, um, you know, a lot of people get really bent out of shape. They say God made me willing in the day of His power. Well, that is true, but we have to keep things in the light of the fact that that is prior. Our inability is prior to quickening. It's prior to life. It's prior to the spirit blowing where it listed, and no man knows the sound thereof. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like Kevin was saying earlier, is that, and Chris, that we, we as just, you know, dead in our trespasses and sin creatures, uh, how Arminians can, can so set forth that, uh, this false doctrine of free will, which is Masonic driven, really. I mean, if you if you if you follow the if you follow the historical origins of people who are promoting free will, um, there there are those that even in the Jesuit camp said they use that as a as a medicine, the free will, as a medicine to to you know inculcate the Christian religion. Um, but let me, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and let Ed get into this thing about inability. inability. Um, why why do people get so upset when they think that they are in and of themselves? I've had so many people say that God is more sovereign by giving man a free will. Uh, Ed, go ahead. Well, uh, man's will is enslaved to sin. Yes. We are dead in trespasses and sin. So how can a dead man do anything? We're talking about spiritual death. So how can a dead man spiritually believe? He cannot. He cannot. And, uh, you know, the, 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 a person must be made alive spiritually by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. Uh, so, uh, you know, a dead man can do nothing. In, in John chapter 1, uh, we read in chapter, in verse 13, uh, it speaks of Christ, okay? And he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believeth on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we must be born again, and no man, even the first birth, 
is done by their will, okay? Uh, they are brought into this world, and so spiritually, God is, is illustrating to us by that first birth the nature of our new birth uh, in Christ that it is done for us by God, and it is not by the will of man, not by the will of the flesh. So it's done completely by God, by his sovereign grace, um, and through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you know, we'll hear, we'll hear both terms used under TULIP. We'll hear inability, and we'll hear irresistible grace. Now, um, you know, again, <laughs> the uh, that really... That really uh, drives at the heart of the Arminians when they when they hear a person promoting that God's grace for His elect is irresistible. Uh, because, by the way, uh, you can't have altar calls if you can resist His grace. You can't have uh, hour of decision. You can't have uh, the Billy Graham Crusades if you can't resist his grace. And uh, this irresistible grace, like Kevin was saying, is so, so well taught by Christ in the 6th, 10th, and 17th chapter of John. You know, he's given him power over all flesh. All that the Father given me will come to me, and all that come to me I will no wise cast out. And then he says in the latter portion of John 6 that uh, that they must be drawn. You know, in other words, and, and this drawing is part of that irresistible grace. You know, um, why don't you just touch on, Ed, the aspect of, you know, we talked about inability, talk about irresistible grace a little bit. Well, uh, God is sovereign. He does what he pleases, and yeah. he chooses his elect. The idea, see, people have this concept. They think because they do what they want that they have a free will. What they don't perceive and what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, his elect, is that the wanter is what's driving them. So they don't really have a free will. They have a will which is enslaved to sin. And they right. do what they want because they want to do sin. They're, they, they're driven to desire sin. They are enslaved to sin. They want to sin, you see. And once you're born again, you have a different view. You turn away from sin. You repent of sin. Now your wanter wants to obey Christ. And so right. you do not what you want in your flesh, but what God wants you to do. You, you, you have a, a different heart now, you see. And so your will is really only truly free once you're born again, see. And you have the unction of the Holy Spirit, all right? Now, now you have a will that is free from sin. But, but um, we still have, we are still in the flesh. So we still have right. the tugging right. of that flesh. Uh, but we are freed from that tugging. We can resist it, whereas before we, are, we were a slave to that sin. We could not resist it, you see. 
So um, that's the that's the difference. So this idea of just people think if they they do what because they can do what they want that they have a free will, and that's uh, that's and, and, and it's really a misnomer. I mean, they, they, they only that, want they only want to sin. <laughs> that's yeah, what they want yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. And these preachers, yeah, I mean, these they pick these up are, uh, Arminian, these Arminian they, preachers play into that. They play into this free will. I, I once mm-hmm. heard a preacher say that God will not force uh, His will on people. You must come to Him of your own free choice. And He made it mm-hmm. seem like you know uh, God was. Uh, uh, I, if, if He elected somebody, that he was some type of tyrannical ogre who was imposing his will, and, and that God is not a tyrannical ogre. He leaves it up to you to decide. He gives you a free, you, you can choose. choose. And I, I, uh, I've never gone back to that church, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a song out there that it says the same thing, you know, that, that he's waiting patiently in you know. It actually has that, and if he's waiting patiently in line, in other words, he can't do anything until you do something, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and this poor little Jesus, you know. I mean, and see, that is a to- that is a total denial of eternal, you know, oh, yeah. election yeah. And, and everything. And and the other mm-hmm. thing I would suggest to the folks that have suggested is is get Martin Luther's book, The Bondage of the Will, because he does a real good job. Of showing what Ed has just described as, as of a person who is uh, enslaved and bondage to sin, and you know mm-hmm. Martin Luther said that you know when when he began to when God quickened him and showed him the just shall live by faith and showed him he said I I found now he said I was a bond a bond servant to sin and now I'm a bond servant to Jesus Christ and. And that's liberty in Christ because he's master, my savior, and so on. So anyway, it's a, it's quite a read. Uh, it, it's not an easy read, but it's quite a read. Yeah. Uh, well, Chris, Jonathan Chris, Edwards, I, if I can yeah, say, Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called The Freedom of the Will. And that, that's a little easier to follow. Yeah. 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 Well, Chris, uh, why don't you check in on this uh, uh Irresistible grace. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad Ed brought up uh, uh, chapter uh, one, verse thirteen. You know, in uh, the, yeah. book, the book of John, the Gospel of John, because yeah. the Armenians never use that verse. They'll read verse twelve that precedes it, <laughs> but they won't read verse thirteen at all. That is so our, true. That is our so camp true. tends to want to read that. We'll go a little farther, yeah. and we'll read that. And that substantiates it. But insofar as uh, I can just give you an old analogy, you've all heard it before, uh, we're as dead spiritually as as Lazarus was uh, physically. And Jesus had to do a miracle to bring him back to physical life. Just it's very parallel analogous to uh to Christ or God same uh uh doing that spiritual work in the uh in in anyone that he's he's chosen from the foundation of the world. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I I've, I've often thought about that. And um, uh, can you imagine uh, Christ before Lazarus' tomb, and then a loud voice says, "Lazarus, come forth." He goes, "No, I, I think I'm going to stay here." <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm free uh, will. I, I just I'll just sit around here. Yeah, and, yeah, and, 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 and corrupt, <laughs> corrupt yeah. like David. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Ed, we're we're back to now. We're we're going into the final phase here. Uh, the final perseverance or preservation. I like both terms. I love uh, I love both of them. I like preservation a little better because it shows the the you know, it's God-centered rather than man-centered. We can't do anything to persevere in our faith if we do not have the the grace of God on our on our on our lives and so on. Um, but I've had people tell me, "Oh, I don't like preservation because it reminds me of old." worn out peach preserves or something, you know, <laughs> but, but you know what, uh, is something that, uh, shows that in other words, we cannot fall from grace. If we are, you know, if God has done the work, if he's paid the rent and I liked your term that you used earlier, Ed, um, I think we need to be reminded that Christ is our sin bearer. He was our substitute. He, when, when, in other words, when we stand before God, we've already been judged righteous by Christ's work. You know, our only yeah. plea is, thank you, Lord. Okay, mm-hmm. our only plea is, you know. Um, and anyway, uh, Kevin, did you, uh, did you get a chance to finish your thoughts before we go on into this final perseverance? Um, I was just going to add to uh, what, uh, Chris said about Lazarus, but also in Ezekiel 37, it talks about the field of dry bones and, and oh, that's yeah. how we are. We're just as dead as those bones. And, and the, <laughs> the Lord said to the prophets, speak to them. And that's the gospel. And he yeah. spoke, and, and they woke up, and they, they stood up. And so that that's what happens good. to us. Yeah. 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 Good, I'm glad. The Arminians have done to that verse, too. They've turned it into some futuristic uh, uh, end-of-the-world scenario. That's what they've done with, with yeah. the Ezekiel. You know what I mean, right? right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, Ed, Ed, let's go on, then, to... Uh, do you uh, what term do you prefer prefer uh, preservation or preserve preservation or persevere? You know, I've heard both, and uh, I'm I'm willing to be edified one way or the other, which is the better <laughs> way to go. I don't right, know. Right. Uh, I know what they both mean, and yeah. I think they both apply. Yeah. Uh, and it it uh, as Kevin said. And I think this is so important, and it's so true, that all of these hang together. You cannot have one without all of the other four. So, um, and I think that is such an important point. And he explained it so well when we were talking about total depravity and unconditional election. Uh, But you can apply that with, with all of these. 
And preservation uh, or perseverance, however you want to put it, uh, it, it fits because it has to, because it's what the gospel says. Uh, Jesus made it clear that um, no man can pluck us from his hand. So uh, once you are saved, you are saved for an eternity. Uh, he is greater than all. Uh, and Chris's point with regard to Lazarus uh, is so on point. If you read what Jesus did with Lazarus, uh, he tarried. He knew that Lazarus would die. He knew that. Yeah. And he said, I'm glad I wasn't there, uh, as I recall. Okay. And he made the <laughs> point that we were all, that, that he loved Lazarus. Okay. So he, uh, and so Lazarus really is a, a very good model of what happens, in his case, physically to us spiritually. Just as Lazarus was dead, he had no, he, there's no way he could hear Christ. He's dead, okay? He's laying there dead, okay? And Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, he's a dead man who cannot hear, but he heard him. How? Because God made him alive again so he could hear, you see. Yeah, he gave yeah. him ears to hear. And how many times does Jesus say, um, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, those are eyes and ears that God gave us. And once he gives us those eyes and ears, he doesn't take them back again. He, the, we, we will persevere. He will preserve his saints. And, um, you know, we, we are destined for eternity with Christ. So, yeah, th- th- everything hangs together. I think Kevin's, Kevin's point is, uh, is so, and I can't imagine, I mean, people say there are four-point Calvinists and all the rest of this. How can you be? If you take any one of these away, you take any one of these away, and uh, you can't be, I, I mean, and by the way, I hate the term Calvinist. I just don't like it. Um, I'm with you on that too. I, I call them yeah, the I, I, I call them the canons of Dort. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah, the tulip. Yeah, the canons of Dort. That leaves Calvin out of it. <laughs> and I would encourage people yeah. to read through. I, I would encourage people to read, read through the canons of Dort and the and the Belgic Confession and uh, the Heidelberg yeah. Confession because those three mm-hmm. were really what brought about. This answer, you know, the the the, the remonstrance, uh, yeah. So that's those those are three interesting documents. Mm-hmm. But we don't we don't put precedence over those over the Bible. So I just want to make mm-hmm. that eminently clear. But mm-hmm. uh, it's really interesting, though, as we think about uh, your your thoughts on Lazarus and even Ed. You know, I think it was Mary or Martha. One of them said, "Well, you know, he stinks. I mean, he's been in the grave four days. He stinketh." You know. Mm-hmm. And Christ, kind of, kind of like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Christ, remember what Christ said. He says, "Do do do you not believe that I am the resurrection and the life?" And she said, "Well, I believe in the last days." And he and he said, "You know, your brother will rise again. You know, not 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 in the future. This is now. Okay, and that's what has happened to each one of us. We have been given life, and I can say that when." When that occurs, like like Ed said, 
I mean, uh, like Ed said earlier, everything changes. Your whole view, your worldview changes. Your your whole motivation of life changes. Your whole parendi changes. Okay, and uh, anyway, uh, now on this final perseverance, Chris, uh, you're yeah, up. I have a- uh, I had a point about that in regard to perseverance or preservation. I think I believe that 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 we only persevere because God preserves us. Yes. Yes. But I just give mm-hmm. all the glory to God, and if God didn't preserve us, we would not be able to persevere through this life. Well, that's right, and also mm-hmm. that that perseverance. Uh, includes the gift of repentance, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say firsthand, like Ed, that we still are in the flesh and we still succumb to sin. We still uh, are drawn away of our own lust and enticed at times. But yet God is faithful for those for whom he has called to show them uh, and give them the gift of repentance. And... Uh, uh, Chris, go ahead on this uh, final perseverance. Well, that's basically it. You know, I mean, if it wasn't for God, you know, again, I'll reiterate, you know, if God, if God didn't in his in His heart of hearts decide to uh, preserve us, yeah. we'd never persevere. You know, I mean, we, <laughs> we, could, we could not continue in the faith, mm-hmm. in the correct faith. And again, that, 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 I was talking to a preacher on uh, on Sermon Audio. I just gave him a phone call. We talked about it. And he had an issue with perseverance. He, he's a he's a Westminster confessional type preacher. Uh, I won't uh, name any names, but uh, yeah, I was, I was never big on that confession. I like the ones that we we talked about the, the Dort and. Uh, Oh, the, oh the three forms of unity. The three forms of yeah. unity. Yeah, Heidelberg and Belgian. Yeah, the Belgian yeah. Confession. And, and the Heidelberg yeah, and the Canons. Catechism, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, those are, seem well to me. Uh, but but these these so-called Calvinists, I guess they call them Calvinists, call themselves that. Mm-hmm. They haven't understood what we've come to understand, that it's five-point Christianity. That's what I call it. Yeah, the doctrines of grace. Right. Yeah, the doctrines of grace. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The doctrines mm-hmm. of grace uh, are contingent on, uh, or the Bible, the Bible, and the and the and the doctrines of grace are synonymous. You can't you can't take mm-hmm. anything out. Like you said, it, uh, you know, uh, uh, one hangs, all hang together, or all hang separately. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Kevin, before you give your thoughts on this, I. Uh, my mom used to can a lot, and you know she would, uh, you know the process. You get the ball j- jars and you get the lids. And I remember, you know, in the kitchen having all the jars lined up. But every once in a, every once in a while, you hear that little ping, you know, where mm-hmm. the jars would seal. Well, you did know, she put did she put paraffin in the top? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you know, it was just, right, there you go. She just used the ball lids, you know. Right, and okay. they, you know how they would seal a ping, you know. And I was right. thinking, we that we have been sealed. 
until the day of redemption. I thought of that when I got saved. I thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've that's, actually. That's right. Because that word right, sealed. So, you, are, you are sealed until the day of redemption. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and sure. so that's the preservation act. And so that gives mm-hmm. me great comfort to know in my own humanity and so on that, hey, God is able, and I think one of my favorite passages uh, is in that Jude there where it says, to to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you spotless. Mm-hmm. You know, but go ahead, Kevin. Uh, yeah. I'll let you well, conclude. Well, well, well uh, yeah, in, in the, taking the perseverance of the saints, I like to see the preservation of God for his saints. So I like to look at the scriptures on, on the uh, preservation and I think of when Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. Oh. And Jesus makes intercession for his people. Otherwise, they would fail. Uh, even now, he's making intercession in heaven for all of his people. And and then in First Peter 1, 5, it says they are kept by the power of God through faith. And so when I see the preservation that God has in mind for the elect, then we actualize that in our life we see it in our life we, yes. we actually see our perseverance <laughs> praise the lord <laughs> yeah it's beautiful and well, without without that's the preservation huh you just you just cited three really good scriptures there i love mm-hmm. that passage peter you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know he yeah. who are kept yeah. by the power of God ready to be revealed in the last and also yeah. there are many many other passages now I want to thank everybody that's uh, joined us on this call we've had a good group and when this has been a great I think a resummation of these doctrines and I want to just um, go back and go down the line and let each person uh, make any final comments about any of these five points or any other point you want to make regarding this before we close this out. Go ahead, Ed. I, I just, again, uh, want to reiterate uh, what Kevin uh, said, that they, they all hang together, and uh, you yes. can't take any one of them out and make any sense of, of any of these doctrines. They all must go together. It is the framework for the gospel, uh, and... and uh, you know, each one uh, is uh, important to uh, to the to understanding the gospel. Absolutely, yeah. Chris. Well, I only want to say uh, that I think it's a great uh, comfort to have been brought out of Arminianism, like all of us. It generally yeah. all of us start out as uh, free will Arminian heretics. And I think by virtue of, now, you, now somebody correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think there's a probably a hundred percent chance if God has done that miracle in 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 letting you know that that and, and made you privy to the to the doctrines of grace and pulled mm-hmm. you out of Arminianism. I think he's I think Christ died for you. I think that mm-hmm. is a very substantial point. In, in in a proof text that we can have that we can have individually in regard to our own assurance. Well, yeah, and I think Ed made a, a point in a couple of broadcasts ago. He, you know, pointing out we were all at once, and you kind of alluded to it, Chris. We were all at once Arminian. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's been a, there's been a change, you know. Why would God bring us out of, out of that heresy that, that most people hold to? 
if he didn't have bigger plans for us. You know, yeah. I, I believe right. all 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 of us here that understand free grace. And why would he pull us out of Arminianism into into the doctrines of free grace? For what reason? So we can burn in hell when he's given us the understanding that uh, he is sovereign. That's the head crown of 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 the of the of the, uh, of the doctrines of grace is that God is sovereign over the over the doctrines of grace. Uh, to the people that are not that, that are Arminian, God is not the head crown of their of their consciousness of their thought of their religious thought processes. That's right. Uh, but but they themselves are. So well, I don't know if anybody think, has a, has. A, an opposing yeah, I view, think, I'd like to hear. No, it. I think Chris. I think Chris. Really, what I hear you saying is that for God's people, we have been given the faith of Christ. You know, it's not In our essence, faith. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the faith of Christ. In other words, we believe these things. We embrace these things. We don't come against the Word of God. We wholeheartedly embrace it. And uh, Kevin, do you have any final uh, thoughts on this? Well, I would say to anyone that we're in discussion with about the free will gospel is that when the Council of Dort was convened and the doctrines of grace were determined to be the truth of the Bible, it automatically meant that the remonstrance was a heretical view and that there is no salvation in that view. And, and that's why that's what Galatians speaks of another gospel leading to a curse. So that I think it's best we leave the word Calvin out of it because that can create a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. They they, yeah. they start talking about the man Calvin and and they could be yeah. right in yeah. many instances. I, agree with, I totally agree with that. So, I totally. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Ed intimated the same thing. In other words, we're talking here about the biblical tenets of the faith. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and as a result of what happened there in. Uh, with the remonstrance. Well, I want to thank yeah. everybody. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to be able to stay on for fellowship tonight. I'm, <laughs> I'm fighting a. It seems like you know, Satan's been allowed to attack my body the last weeks. First, I had a huge problem with uh, gout, and then uh, the other day I woke up and I was just, my whole front of my body was just covered with shingles. So um, I'm, I'm dealing with those issues, and, and I'm doing much better. But um, uh, but anyway, I want Chris and everybody to know I will be getting in touch with you on an individual basis so we can have some fellowship here when I get feeling a little bit better. But, um, oh, I love, I it. Thought, I love it. We should all pray for our brother, our brother uh, Larry, and anybody else. Why don't we lift up everybody here in prayer? I don't know. Does anybody have any? Anybody else have any maladies? I can. I. I. I'll. I'll be bold enough to ask you if you'd all pray for my, for my stomach. My stomach's been bothering me for a few days. Mm-hmm. Like I have some mm-hmm. kind of stomach flu. I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. You know, you, you bring the truth out, and Satan's going to try and uh, get you. If you can. Well, I know. Right. I know that. I know that there is. Uh, uh, I know that there's a a reason why that God brings people together in fellowship and so on. And uh, um, I know that uh, um, there's a little bit different views about public prayer, and I respect the different people's views on that, Chris. And so I. 
I, I do think that uh, the best place for prayer is in our in our closet, you know, in our home, and so on. And I understand why certain people have certain views, because there are those in <laughs> the organizations we're talking about that like that like to be known for their long prayers. And oh yeah, no, it. no, brother, that isn't where I was going. I was only predicating my my point of view based on one scripture that says, where Jesus says, where there's two or more of you gathered in my name, I'm there, you know? Right. That, that's, all I, 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 that's all I'm basing I that on. I think, I think we're all in agreement on that. I just I just uh, wanted, uh, Ed asked me a very important question one time, uh, and I'm very transparent about it. Um, you know, we would have our little fellowship here, of course, we record those fellowships. Of course, our little fellowships consist of myself, my son, and my wife. And I would usually, you know, pray before the time that I was given whatever message. And Ed asked me the question: Is there any biblical, you know, validation for praying publicly? You know, <laughs> and so on. And I think it's a really good. Now we have a, a we have accounts of the publican praying um, and he's smiting on his breast and then the Pharisees say, I'm glad I'm not like that publican. And so well, I think... In, in the book of Acts, they all prayed that Peter would get out of prison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there are times for uh, public... I, mean, I don't even like the word public prayer. Prayer within a very... Uh, tight fellowship, but I I think that uh, Ed, your point's well taken too, uh, because of the it's kind of like what's happening within the charismatic churches. A lot of this stuff is so far beyond the pale of being biblical that uh, I think we have to be judicious. But with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna end the call. I want to thank everybody for coming on board, and uh, we love everyone, and uh, we'll look forward right. to next week. Uh, with that, does anybody have any final comments or anything? No, All thank right. you. Thank you, Larry, for putting these thank calls you. together for us. All right. All right. God bless you, brother, and see you later. Bye-bye. God bless all you right. all, brothers. I, I hope uh, you all feel better. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Take care now.